Listen, there's a reason the ultra-wealthy have been investing in fine wine for centuries. Historically stable returns and a lack of volatility make it stand out compared to traditional assets, especially during a downturn. But now you can invest alongside with them with Vint. Vint is an SEC-qualified investment platform that offers shares of the most sought-after wines in the world. So join the thousands of investors diversifying with fine wine and spirits. Learn more at VINT.co. For full investment disclosure information and more, visit VINT.co. Welcome to This Is Civity Radio Show. I'm Gina Valeria. Civity helps people in communities build a culture of respect and empathy across difference, and our interviews explore how people across the country and world are doing this in their communities. Today, we welcome David Levinsky and Nate Bagley. David serves as Sadie Bromfman Rabbinical Chair at Temple Har Shalom in Park City. And Nate is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, also in Utah, and host of the Loveumentary podcast, Helping People Create Strong and Lasting Relationships. Both David and Nate are part of the One America movement, which seeks to build bridges and solve problems across the socially salient differences that divide us. Welcome to you both. Glad to have you here. Thanks, Gina. Thank you, Jim. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious uh, to start, first of all, One America has been doing some amazing work to bridge differences and make connections. How did you both come to be connected with One America? And um, Nate, why don't we have you start? Yeah, it all it all started, I think it was last year, uh, maybe even a little bit longer ago. But I, I was looking, I was kind of, I, I was put in charge of, um, in my congregation, of doing missionary work. And in Salt Lake City, for people who may not be familiar, there's a very, very saturated uh, market, if you will, spiritual market of of Mormons, members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, it's not uncommon, especially in the suburbs, to have like 80 or 90 percent of the people in your neighborhood be members of your congregation. And uh, I'm not a fan of proselyting. I don't think it's um, I don't enjoy it very often. Uh, like just kind of, it, it feels kind of gross sometimes when, um, anyway, it feels kind of salesy. <laughs> so I was asked to head up kind of this effort to proselytize and I, I felt kind of unsettled about it. And so I decided that rather than me proselytizing to people of other faiths or other, other walks of life, that one of the best things that I could do was to expose my community to our neighbors that we don't typically interact with in our community. So members of other faiths and other nationalities and um, other other cultures, other communities. And one of the, the best ways that I thought that we could do that was to organize like an interfaith service project. So I got online and started poking around and seeing if there were some interfaith groups that I could connect with that could introduce me to other faith leaders in the community and maybe we could coordinate and get a couple of different congregations together and do some good and if anything, just make friends and learn more about people that we don't typically interact with. And that's kind of how we came across the um, the One America movement. And um, they, they ended up coming out here to Salt Lake and we spent a day or two traveling around the Salt Lake Valley and we met with members of the Muslim community and members of the Jewish community and decided that we were going to move forward and put together a, a series of, of events where we could get to know each other, share a meal, do some service together and learn about each other's faiths and backgrounds um, in, a, in a setting that was uh, non-proselyting, in a setting that was like all about community and camaraderie and understanding one another. And that's kind of, that's how um, the rabbi and I met and now we've done, uh, I don't know, how many events now? Three or four? Yeah, three or four. 
Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. So know. that's the origin story of, of the One America Movement in Utah. You guys have a fantastic origin story. David, is there anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, it, I was just really pleasantly surprised by the meeting with uh, me. You know, it's not an uncommon thing for Latter-day Saints to make appointments with me. And it's usually for them to talk about some sort of prophecy they received that I think I can interpret. You're supposed to laugh here, not me. <laughs> I'm laughing. <laughs> <And> those... <laughs> So it was it was a, a a very pleasant surprise for us to turn into you know a meeting about about an interfaith conversation an open interfaith conversation uh, without expectations. I've been involved in a Muslim Jewish dialogue when I was rabbi in Chicago, um, so this I, I thought was a was a natural one, and Nate you know immediately struck me as a real good partner in this, so just jumped in. Oh, that's fantastic. As you guys have begun to get to know each other and work together, in fact, uh, for for the people who are listening, as we were setting up the podcast, I, I think I heard you, Nate, say how much you miss David and looked forward to hanging out. I hope you don't mind me mentioning that, but I thought that was a nice moment. Um, so it sounds like you guys have worked together really well. Tell me a little bit about some of the strides you think you've made or some of the, the moments you've had that you feel have been really helpful in terms of bridging uh, the differences of your faith communities or any other differences you think are salient to the conversation? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I mentioned it on two sides. Mm-hmm. You know, my, I think that Jews tend to to bring a certain set of ideas about Islam and particularly the relationship of politics with Islam to an interfaith dialogue, it doesn't necessarily come out of a real conversation or encounter with someone who's Muslim. And just talking with someone who's Muslim, because the two religions are just so similar theologically and very similar in practice as well, um, you know, immediately makes a connection and a bridge where there's something else in the room than the obvious uh, political conversation. And that's something that I've seen in this is just really powerful. It's just so easy. You know, I think that most Jews know, because that's like the first thing that people tell me, were telling me when I moved here three and a half years ago, that Latter-day Saints feel a strong affinity for Judaism. At the same time, it and we, because we're in the minority and there are a lot of Latter-day Saints in Utah, we have encounters with them. At the same time, I, I think that Latter-day Saints have a particular, my impression is they have a particular view of Judaism, but they haven't talked to Jews. Um, so I think at the same time, I think that that encounter is good. I really enjoy watching or listening to the Latter-day Saints conversation change as they talk to me. Um, so it's, it's, it's both of those um, are two things that I've, that I've seen. I guess I could have it move in the other direction as well. But, I mean, I really am a strong believer that open conversation with people that are different than you makes you stronger in who you are and also makes you more understanding about what you're not. So I, I try to create those moments. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's uh, you've encapsulated, I think, the challenges so many of us face. And it is as a as someone who always wants to 
trying to make connections across difference or learn. I love those moments in myself. And as someone who's now a, a professor, watching my students have those moments are the best when they when they engage yeah. with someone that they have made assumptions about and all of a sudden their world opens up. Um, I think it's just fantastic. Uh, so, Nate, is anything you want to add to that? Yeah, for me, the most special experiences that we've had have been the the personal ones, the yeah. the 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 experiences that come as a result of the the events and the things that we're doing together in general. Yeah. So, like I know um, our one of our more recent events that we've done just happened to fall on the same day as the Pittsburgh shooting mm-hmm. that that happened a couple of months back. Right, and um, we had a meeting at like the, the the meeting was set, the event was set to be at uh, at the synagogue at, at Temple Harshalom in um, Park City. And that morning the shooting happened. And then that night you've got a whole bunch of Christians and Muslims and, and Jews together meeting in solidarity. Uh, and it felt like we were there as much to hear the speaker and, and, and the food, but, but more so to offer a sense of community to our brothers and sisters who were maybe experiencing a lot of fear or hurt or pain. And I got to personally have conversations with um, members of the congregation out there and just let them know that like, if they needed anything that like, I, I have no problem coming and standing outside of the temple while they worship. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Or I have, I, uh, there, there were people in the community outside of their, their congregation that were concerned about them and that loved them and that wanted them to feel safe and welcomed where they're at, especially being the minority. That was one really special experience for me. And another, um, and maybe Rabbi, you can speak more to this, is we got to witness the first ever um, Shabbat Iftar celebration in Utah, which was a really unique experience. At least the first one that I know of. Like, I don't, I I haven't heard of anybody else having an event like this. And um, that experience was like really, really special for me. Like I remember standing on the back row and just watching people. And I had, as, um, as the rabbi performed the Shabbat ceremony, I don't know if that's the right terminology, but like I had tears running down my face and I just like, I I felt this connection with my heritage. I I have a grandmother who's Jewish. And so there's a whole line of my family tree that's, that's Jewish. And here I am standing in the synagogue, like listening to this, this amazing um, sermon and like feeling a connection with my ancestors and then looking around and feeling a connection with my community. And like, it was such a special experience and I could tell other people in the room felt, uh, felt welcomed in a place where it wasn't necessarily their place. Mm -hmm. And that is like, it's, it's so, it's such a cool and inspiring thing to experience. And I wish more people had the opportunity, which gives me even more excitement for future events together. That's beautiful. And you, you mentioned something about yourself and the people in the room, which I know you both have done a lot of work to bring people into the room, but that leaves the question for me of what about all of the people outside the room? You're doing all this work, and I think there's a lot of work being done in religious communities to bridge divides and bring people together, but there's also a, a very divisive strain in religion uh, that we see examples of, I, I would say, daily or weekly. And and so how? So tell me a little bit about some of the, the on-the-ground work you guys have both been doing to address that, to break through that, and to and to try to bring more people into the room. Yeah, I think that what you're talking about is something that's really difficult. I yeah. mean, I think it's a fairly simple thing to get the 75 to 100 people who are open to conversation in the room to have that uh, conversation. It's much more 
difficult uh, to get people even in the room who have a different approach to religion. Uh, you know, sometimes I say that I can get along much better with someone of a different religion who has the same approach to religion than someone of my religion <laughs> has a different approach to religion. Totally, yeah, that's <laughs> profound, uh, yes. <laughs> right? You know, the, some, the, the approach to religion is the thing that binds. So getting people with these different approaches to faith, which are fundamentally contradictory, um, and having them talk to each other and listen to each other is, is a much harder thing to do. Um, I think that's something that we're going to have to really think about this as this progresses. At this point, we're developing a cohort of sorts of like minds, but then the question of how to how to move this into the places where, where the real hard work begins, um, where the people with more, I don't know what adjective to even use, um, people with more open and less open approaches to religion can, can talk to each other. That's, that's a much harder conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, it is a much harder conversation to break through all of those assumptions. But, but what you both said earlier also is really important. There have been studies showing that if you can move someone just an inkling from that duality of uh, me, you, other, you know, um, to all of a sudden just just acknowledging they might be human as well. Like if you can just, the studies have shown that if you can just bridge that teeny divide, I mean, it's a big divide, but it's a small movement, then it's really difficult for people to backtrack into that duality. Like they, once you've seen someone as a person, it's harder to go back and not see them as people anymore. I mean, you can be done, of course. We have examples in history of that too, but, but, but it is like there, there is this interesting work to be done just to, to, to break through. And, and I, but I think you're right. The work you're doing is so important as far as laying the groundwork, building coalitions and connecting with people and moving out into the community in whatever, in whatever way possible to make these connections. Um, what are some of the main challenges you think uh, you face in Park City with regard to how people engage with each other, whether it's across religious divides, whether it's across socioeconomic divides or anything like that that you guys would like to, to really dig into? Well, we're in different communities. I'm in oh. Park City and Nate is down in the valley. Park City is unique as far as Utah goes. It's a resort town. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Aspen or Vail. And you know, like next Thursday, the Sundance Film Festival happens mm-hmm. here. Um, so it's a very cosmopolitan place and the place where compared to the rest of Utah, there's more diversity. Mm -hmm. Um, it is not particularly diverse by urban standards, but more diversity by Utah standards, (laughs) by Utah standards, exactly. Very, very diverse by Utah. The only thing that's wider, the only thing that's wider than the snow here is the population. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it is just a white place. I moved here from Chicago, and in my, wow. my first few months, whenever I would see a black person, which was not often, I'd like want to go up and talk to them because I miss <laughs> talking to black people. I was like, oh, that's weird. I can't do that. <laughs> um, you know, Park City is, you know, is a relatively cosmopolitan place, um, at least as far as Utah goes. And um, so, you know, the real problems that are in Park City are primarily around issues of social equity, um, where because we're this resort town, we have um, a lot of people who don't necessarily have access or ease to access 
of the incredible resources that are here um, as far as ways of living life and recreation and things like this. Um, you know, so that that's the main problem that we're facing in this town. All the other issues that derive from that are little particular things like how's the city going to grow, how's the town going to grow, and things like that. But really, social equity is really the major issue here. And you know, almost no matter what your politics are, you know, that's the conversation. You know, so the center right and the center left are having this conversation and having different answers to the to the issue, but saying this isn't this is the major issue in the town. And uh, the faith communities are very much a part of that conversation. So you know, we're this unique place because we have these resorts with a lot of people who are working in the service industry and the resorts, and then a lot of people who are consuming the service industry and the resorts. And there's a gap between the two populations. Okay. And, and Nate, what about you? What is your community face uh, that you're hoping to, to dig into and get at? Yeah, one of the one of the I mean, I'm not familiar with all of the problems that are happening in Salt Lake City, but the one that I I try and concern myself with with regards to this project that we're working on is that the the Latter-day Saint Church just has um a, a strong influence and a strong presence in the community. You know, if you go back two decades, uh I would say around 80% or 70 to 80% of the population was was Mormon. Um, and in the in the downtown areas and like the urban areas, that percentage has dramatically dropped. But down, out in the suburbs, it's still very very high. There's not a lot of diversity, and that that's racial diversity, and that's also religious diversity. There's just a, a not much of it. And I think one of the problems that we face is falling into the trap of believing or thinking that everybody else sees the world and experiences the world the way we do. Uh, in our little community, and we can get siloed off, and we can um, we can kind of become exclusive with our 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 social circles and our religious circles, and it can make us ignorant to to so many opportunities to help take care of others and connect with others and lift up others and bond with others and 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 take down um, the the barriers that divide us. Yeah. And because we we do have so much. Uh, so, so much dominance in this area. I think it's our responsibility to make sure that we're aware and cognizant of the other people in our community who are who are more of a minority, who may not have as strong of a voice, and to really understand what's going on in their he heads and make sure that they're being represented in a way that they want to be represented, that they're being heard, that they're feeling connected and not ignored. And that's one of the that's one of the biggest fears that I had and one of the reasons that I, I really wanted to start these projects is it's really easy when you have the loudest and the biggest voice to assume that everybody else just agrees with everything that you say without ever listening to somebody else. Right. So more than anything, I wanted to provide an opportunity for the people who believe that everything that they say, think, and do is right to actually maybe hear some different opinions and different experiences. Yeah. You know, that's that's really important. And that's the basis of, of Civity's work is the idea of listening, the idea of actually stopping and hearing what someone else is saying, not that you have to take it in and agree with it, but that you've just heard it and acknowledged it. And that is that is something I think that's hard. I'm one of those people who I, I don't necessarily think I'm always right, but I'm always loud. And I'm always the first person to talk. And so it's easy to steamroll and it's easy to sort of take take over the room and, and to stop and, and really listen and hear and acknowledge 
um, is is such an important thing. And Nate, you you've got a whole podcast that you do on relationships, and so I want to ask you about that as well. Like, this is something that's so important to you that you dedicate uh, time in your life to to podcast it. So I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about how how that came to be. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting question. Um, thanks for asking it. Yeah. So my uh, when I was in my my mid twenties. I knew that one thing I did not want to be terrible at in life was love. Like <laughs> I did not want to be, a, I knew I wanted to get married one day and I knew I did not want to be a terrible husband. I oh, wanted no. to have an awesome marriage. Okay. You're awesome already. But, That's great. Oh, thanks. <laughs> but my dating, my dating life did not reflect the awesomeness. We'll just say that. <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, uh, obviously if the type of relationship that I want is not the type of relationship I'm kind of getting, maybe there's like a gap between what I know and what I need to be doing. And so I decided that I would like set out and try and find couples who had the type of relationship that I really admired and wanted to have in, in my life. And then I would ask them a whole bunch of questions to try and figure it out, figure out what they did differently than everybody else that gave them the type of relationship that they had, this, this amazing relationship. And that's kind of how it all started. And it kind of has snowballed and um, has turned into my career, uh, trying to help kind of rid the world of mediocre love. Um, and so I spent a lot of time talking to couples and talking to ex- relationship experts about what creates um, like really, really awesome loving relationships, like the, the romantic kind of relationships. But a lot of that ties over into um, just like any other type of relationship that you have in your life. And it's been, it's been a really cool experience and I've had some really, some really special opportunities as a result of doing that podcast. That's pretty great. Yeah. I think that's really salient what you said about, because you think about the idea that a a relationship is a friendship or or whatever type of relationship it is. It's uh, like the, the things that work with your friends that are are the things that hopefully will work in your relationship are the things that hopefully will work in your professional life or with people you're trying to work on a project with whatever it is. And so I think that's, that's an interesting thing you said, you know, you come at it from this idea of wanting to be a good partner. Um, but it's really very relevant to all kinds of relationships that we have. Definitely. So on that note, I'm, I'm curious to know, do you do structured relational work with your congregations to help them make connections? Like when you brought your two congregations together or people from different faiths together, um, is there any sort of structured work you do amongst them to help them connect, or do you just kind of let them engage on their own terms? Yes. <laughs> uh, excellent, all of it. <laughs> took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> yeah, One America has a you know a specific structure um, that is developed. You know that they have. They have you know it's a plan of action on creating these dialogues in a way that they. I think they they try to create some some data out of it as well. Um, and my tendency is is not towards that model. So I do use One America's uh, model. I think it's really difficult. I think it's my wife's a sociologist. You know, it's really difficult to use those kinds of instruments in ways um, that collect high quality data and also that, uh, that that produce the outcomes that you're looking for. Right. You know, that, that's a really really nuanced process, especially when you're dealing with you know, qualitative data and. So my, so my tendency is is more um, towards give 
the people a little bit of a program where there's something where we learn a little bit about one of the people, mm-hmm. one of the groups that are there, and then to just let conversations develop in a more natural way. Um, what the what the Christians call fellowship. Um, in other words, eating and talking, something that all religious groups do with each other. Yes. So, so you know, so when we had the event at the at the temple, it was more like that. Um, I think Arisa and Andrew are coming in for the event at the church. You know, in a week, in a little over a week. So I suspect that'll be more structured. Um, so it it really just it depends. Um, both both approaches have their have their benefits. You don't want it to just be, well, the Mormons don't drink, but you don't want it to be just cocktail party conversation, right? You want to get at something rich, um, and that's why I hope that learning a little bit about each other um, at these events. We're having these three events where we had one at the temple, where we had a Muslim scholar give a little intro to Islam, then we ate and talked. You know, in a week and a half, I'm I'm going to give a little intro to Judaism, and that events at the Latter-day Saints Church, and uh, then we'll talk. And we'll, then we'll have another event at a, at a mosque, at a masjid, um, where there'll be an introduction to uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Boy, I wish your leader hadn't made me say that whole sentence every time. Yeah, it's me about trying. Mormon is so much shorter, right? Mormon so much shorter. And I have to say Jesus Christ, and he's not Christ to me. You know, it's just it's tough. Anyway. But, <laughs> just, say, just say Latter-day Saints. <laughs> okay. I, I I appreciate the permission on that one. I'll, I'll use that. I love it. This is good dialogue. It. See you see your dialogue from your collaborating conference. Beautiful. We just, we just moved it forward right there. Exactly. That was that was amazing. Oh my god. David, how important is it for you to or it's for people, I guess. And I ask you this for a specific reason. So I came across the Salt Lake Tribune article of you skateboarding, which is amazing but but things like that help humanize you to people help you humanize us to each other so did you expect that article to focus on that or not and and i'm curious have you been able to use that or another interest you have to help make connections across where big differences might exist yeah i mean i do that i do that really consciously when encountering you know bigger media um where I, I think about what the audience is and what's the way to make to make a human connection. Um, there's you know huge portions of, of people who uh, you know only about a third of people who identify as Jewish or agnostic or atheist. So, so the spiritual path isn't always the way in. There there needs to be a range of paths in to you know to connection with the Jewish tradition. You know, so I I do consciously try to to humanize it and i do also try to do it in a way that doesn't make my teenage son cringe as much as that (laughs) you know one thing i love about rabbi levinsky is that he always wears a helmet the good see that's very important yes i do wear a helmet you're a good role model safety first yes yes good role modeling very well done a part of civity's work is to help humanize people and and you're talking about uh, your wife's a sociologist um and I just did some doctoral work on engagement across difference, and we used the semi-structured engagement. So, like, you have to do these things, but you can do them in your own way. And 
um, it was interesting what the students, how they connected with each other and what they found important. And, and the idea of as soon as they found something in common, like, oh, we both play sports or, oh, wow, you have student loans, I have student loans or, or whatever it may be. Then all of a sudden the big differences, they're like, oh, yeah, no, they weren't really that different from me. OK, well, that person was, you know, crazy liberal, bisexual, black, and you're a Republican conservative, you know, it's, and they're like, well, yeah, well, whatever. I mean, we had the same experience. And, and that was so incredible but it was all about this idea of oh we both like this activity together or we're both facing the same thing in life and and how powerful that that psychographic connection can be yeah i think it's it's really it's a, that's an important piece um and it's also really important to 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 maintain differences and acknowledge differences you're doing it right you know, there's that moment of connection of we're the same, and that takes it to another place. Yeah. But you have to also, you know, acknowledge that there's there are fundamental differences that are unresolvable in the conversation, and that's okay. Yeah, that's really true too. And I think I, I wonder if you guys have noticed. Do, do your congregations or the people you engage with have any issues with that concept? The idea of you know you mentioned proselytizing earlier. That's a big part of certain. Uh, strains of religion, and yet, you know, there are, I, I'm uncomfortable with it as well. So, yeah, I'm curious, I'm curious sort of how that is for people in your congregation or the people you've been working with, the idea of, of sitting with difference and... and... Yeah, I, I definitely have to... I, the the Latter-day Saint faith... There you go, Rabbi. The Latter-day Saint faith is um, very very proselytizing. Yeah. There's a lot of missionary work that happens. And I have to oftentimes um, pr- prepare people for these events and say, hey, this is, not an, this is not an opportunity for you to convert somebody. This is an <laughs> opportunity for you to listen to somebody. Yeah. Like, so show up with your ears and, and not your mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's definitely something that, that probably is a difference between our two communities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are, I think there are several others. Um, Maybe not on a one-to-one basis, but definitely on a like a more broad basis. There's probably some some cultural differences. Nate, do you find that your congregation responds well to that, or do you still see that sort of inherent um, desire to? Yeah, I, the the people who tend to come to these events that we organize tend to be pretty open-minded. But when you show up on Sunday, um, the people who are in Sunday school aren't probably would not fall into that same category. You know, there's there's some people who, without me speaking ill of others, who probably wouldn't take that approach. That's sure. probably the best way for me to say that. David? No, I mean, Judaism doesn't allow proselytizing. Um, you know, that's been in Jewish law for, you know, I guess 2,000 of the 3,500 years we've been doing this. And because, you know, we're a, we're a tiny population, there's only 5,000 Jews in the state of Utah. Wow. It's really small. Um, you know, proselytizing is is not something that's particularly appealing to us mm-hmm. um, I, I found it interesting that the the Jews who choose to go to these events are not always the people that I would typically think would go mm. um, where we have people who are really making a conscious choice to find out about other people who haven't had those encounters and it's across a range of politics. Um, it's not just political liberals. We have liberals and conservatives who are going. And that that's one of the things that I think was a surprise. Mm-hmm. I had the feeling that 
we were going to get the usual suspects. There's the same people who are the social justice people. We're going to come to this. And it's, uh-huh. it's a different group. There's a wider desire to have these conversations with other people. I also think that the Jews see themselves, see an important role here in Utah. It is made very clear to you that you are a representative of the Jewish people mm-hmm. every single day mm-hmm. because of that minority role. Um, and, you know, extreme minority role, you know, 5,000 people in the state. So, um, you know, every single person in the congregation plays that role to some degree every day. I'm sure the Muslims feel the same. There's 50,000 of them. Mm -hmm. They're more visible than we are, you know, so. Um, Yeah, yeah. So that's that's one of the things that really surprised me is that there is, I think, within the Jewish community, uh, a, a wide interest in this in this conversation, and my guess is that some of that comes out of the fact that we've already all become very comfortable with doing it on a day to day basis, anyways. Yeah, that's true. You know, it. I also wonder. Um, I don't think it's across the board, but I do think that there is a a desire that has grown in, as our country has become more divided, and as the vitriol has become more of a part of the of the cable news landscape. And I, you know, not that we need to talk about politics in any way, shape, or form, but if we can, if you want to. But really, what I want to get at is the idea that there is this desire amongst a lot of people. Just, I just want to connect. I just want to figure out what's going on. I want to know why this is happening to us and figure out how to change it. And I think a lot of people are flailing because they don't quite know how to do that, which makes things like One America and Civity and other and other efforts and endeavors really valuable but I, I I wonder if you've seen over the course of your time both of you doing this work if you've seen a greater interest and if that population of people that are coming has shifted and it sounds like in in your case David the population has has shifted slightly or or maybe not shifted but you can see a population you didn't expect um, and, and and Nate I'm curious on on your end too what you're seeing as far as who's engaging and um, and their reasons behind it. I think there's there's definitely a, sh- a shift happening, especially with those who attend. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, if I were to, to guess, I would say that people don't realize how much they need this until they actually experience it. True. You know, I've had, I've had friends and family members come to these events and they're like, oh yeah, this sounds like a nice thing. And then they show up and they go, I just realized I've never met a Muslim or I don't remember the last time I spoke to a Jew and I got to sit down and have dinner sitting next to somebody and like they're such nice people. <laughs> and, you know, like you start to have these, you know, I've, I've seen people um, at these events start to connect and say, Hey, Oh, you're doing a service project. How can we help? You know? And we're, we're seeing people expand beyond just these moments of connection and create connections outside of the events. And, um, they're becoming friends and finding ways to do good in the world where they share common values and common goals. And uh, so I think I think that um, it's easy to get stuck inside of an echo chamber. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you hear a lot about that on social media lately, and a lot of it happens inside of our religious communities. It can be easy to get kind of trapped inside your own little echo chamber. Yeah. And the moment I think people set foot inside of one of these events is the moment I think that it clicks to them how important it is to to talk to people and to really understand the story of people who are outside their community. It's been, it's been a special experience. It's been really cool to see that shift happen for people. I wish it could happen for more. Is there a specific situation you can think of that really uh, made an impact on you? Put me on the spot. I know. Sorry. Um, 
What I mean, a personal example is watching my mom show up to an event and sit down across from a Muslim woman and get a henna tattoo and become best friends and and stand up and go, do you think that they'll care at church when I show up on Sunday when I have this henna tattoo? Actually, I'll bet everybody will think it's cool. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she connected with this woman and she found out that this woman is doing uh, like doing uh, working on a project to provide relief efforts for um, some refugees here in Salt Lake. And she's mm-hmm. like, give me your card. You know, my mom does a lot of service projects as well. And they're, they've been like talking to each other and coordinating and thinking about ways that they can combine their efforts together to, to help people here in Salt Lake who need help. And I'm like, Oh, how cool is that? That my, my timid little mom who is like nice and secure in her little uh, Mormon blanket of community mm-hmm. can step outside and, and like make a bond with somebody of a completely different nationality, a different religion, different different belief system, and still find something in common and see the light in their eyes and make that connection. That was pretty cool. That's a beautiful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Um, David, I'm curious, uh, on your end, is there is there any specific uh, anecdote or story that you're willing to share that, that really resonated with you or, or has stayed with you? Yeah, I can tell the story. It originates in... Uh... This originates from the Muslim Jewish dialogue in in Chicago, but it's you know similar kinds of work where um, I had a woman come up to me and ask. This is at an event that was at the temple. A Muslim woman come up to me and asked to see the Torah scroll, and she used that word which right away. You know, that's our you know, the the uh, the object that we re- we do our biblical readings out of during um, Shabbat services. And, um, you know, I was surprised that she even knew the word. And so I took her and a few of her friends you know, into the sanctuary and took the, took the Torah out of the ark and opened it up and read a little bit and translated a little bit. And we started talking about, about God. And there was just this, this moment where, you know, she said, you know, if we're just talking about God, it's the same conversation. And that was, uh, that was just a really beautiful moment of connection. Um, and, and, you know, the, the spiritual, uh, a spiritual connection. Oh, that's really beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Where do you both want to go from here? Well, I think, you know, to, to a large degree, you know, we're going to run through this, this cycle of trialogues. We'll have another iftar. Um, Iftar Shabbat at the synagogue uh, during Ramadan this year is sort of a a culmination of sorts for the year. The question that I'm really asking right now is I think that this core of the Jewish community has really found a way to have dialogue uh, with Muslims and with Latter-day Saints and it's more the people who aren't in that conversation who I think both Jews, and I'll speak for Mormons, but you can correct me, Nate, I think I potentially have some difficulty with, and that's uh, or that's evangelical Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, bec- because of the amount of their, their act, because of their active proselytizing of Jews and a very different approach to religion than Reformed Judaism, it's a, that's a difficult conversation. A lot of evangelical Christians, um, not all, but a lot don't even consider Latter-day Saints Christians. Um, so, you know, that that's a really, that's a difficult dialogue that we're, that, you know, that we haven't gotten to yet. Yeah. And I would hope that, you know, the rich conversation that we've, you know, built among these three religious groups, Latter-day Saints, Jews, and Muslims, 
if we could somehow find a way to circle in uh, evangelical Christians into the conversation, you know, that's the hard one. Yeah. And I've been there for the place where there's potentially the the most growth. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I would see that as a as a possible next step. Yeah, it feels it's true. It feels sometimes as if, uh, and I think we all. I you know I, I know I have se- I have several friends from childhood who are evangelical Christian. It, it does seem as if sometimes it feels difficult to get in there, but that there are ways in. Have you have you made any headway as far as connecting with any piece of that group at all yet? Yeah, I very much have. You know, on a personal level, I have a, a personal relationship with three of the evangelical ministers in town, um, but there hasn't been talk about you know ways that we could bring our communities together in a way that would work for both communities. Um, but so that's been the beginning, starting with those face-to-face conversations and building relationships over lunch. Um, so that, you know, that's been the beginning. So I have the contact, so to speak. That's good. So you're, 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 you've started on the path, but you need to, it's definitely a path to be unfolded. Exactly. Yeah. And, and Nate, how about you? I could get behind that answer. <laughs> Uh, that's a tough one. There's t- I think there's probably more tension in between the Latter Day Saints and the Evangelicals than us and the Evangelicals, even. Yeah. yeah, I think I think another community I'd love to see incorporated as well is is the atheists. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm with you there. Well, I you already got some because a third of the Jews are so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get you. Uh, and and I, interestingly, um, well, maybe not interestingly, I don't know, but a huge percentage of uh, people who leave the Mormon faith, they become atheists, and mm. oftentimes it isolates them from their their family and from like there's it, it can create a lot of turbulence and a lot of um, misunderstanding and and contention and struggle. And so I would I would love to see a, a dialogue where we could get atheists to come in and talk about why they are atheists and create some empathy and understanding and compassion. On that side, uh, it doesn't always have to be like necessarily a specific a belief in God that we're that binds us together, but just the human experience. Mm-hmm. And I think that voice is an important one that we haven't really considered involving yet. But I would I would like to see happen. Yeah, yeah. I hear from you guys that a lot of these conversations you're seeing happening are the ones you hope to have happen. Are these conversations based, if not love, then in that common idea of human experience and how people connect and engage with the world? And um, I think that's a a really important thing that I, 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 it's nice to see more people thinking about it and doing this work and, and really trying to make a difference. And so I just want to thank you both for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything either of you want to add that we haven't connected with that you think it's important for people to know? Um, David, please, if you'd like to. It's just, it's great work that you're doing. I'm really happy that this is, you know, essentially, that there are groups outside of religion that are f- helping facilitate this. It makes it a lot easier to have umbrella organizations to help these kinds of conversations. So thank you too for your work with uh, with Civity and uh, you know tip of the hat to uh, to One America as well for the, the work that they've done of being our uh, our umbrella organization and our facilitators. Yeah, thank you absolutely, Nate. Anything you'd like to add? Yeah, I would just say to anybody who's listening to this. Um, but if you have a chance to step outside your comfort zone, take it because it might, I mean, it might feel risky and it may not go the direction that you expect it to go, but the opportunity for 
awesome payoff to get outside of your comfort zone to meet new people and possibly see the domino effects that I've been able to see in my life by, by starting these conversations. And it far outweighs the discomfort of the initial conversations, the initial approach. So yeah. don't be afraid to, to ask people what their experience is, how they're feeling, what's going on in their world, and, um, and take that first step to initiate the conversation. Thank you so much. I, I wholeheartedly second that. It's absolutely true. The payoff is way, way more special and amazing than that initial potential discomfort or concern. So I appreciate you saying that. You have been listening to This Is Civity Radio with today, David Levinsky and Nate Bagley. David serves as the Sadier Bromfman Rabbinical Chair at Temple Har Shalom in Park City, Utah. Nate is a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Utah and host of the Love You Mentory podcast, helping people create strong, lasting relationships. Both David and Nate are part of the One America Movement, which seeks to build bridges and solve problems across socially salient differences that divide us. I'm thrilled to have you both on today. Uh, on This Is Civity Radio. Thank you so much. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.